Glory to God. Well, what do you guys want to talk about? You always ask that question. Because well, I want to try to give people the opportunity uh, to, you know, if you have something to talk about. For it to be developed outside of me yeah. shaping cool. it, right? Because I'm shaping so much. Well, I'll talk about uh, Matt's, uh, he participated in a podcast uh, in which I listened to mostly, most of it this morning. This is Callie. Yeah. That's Alex. I don't know if you guys have met. Uh, this, they were talking about how uh, you can desire a thing with the wrong, I'm going to paraphrase. Uh, you can desire the th a thing, uh, fill in the blank, uh, with the wrong motive. Thinking subconsciously that that thing has the power to give you what you want. Mm -hmm. And you don't even know what you want. But what you want is eternal life. Mm -hmm. You don't know you want eternal life, but what you want, the desire of your heart, is eternal life. Not even knowing what eternal life is, that's what you want. And you may see the fruit of eternal life and you say, well, I want that fruit. But you don't even think in those terms. You just want, I want to feel safe. I want to feel secure. I want to feel respected. I want to feel uh, uh, value. Uh, all these things that you want that only eternal life can give you, but you uh, direct your attention and desire to, to, towards this thing that you want because the world has told you this is what you want. This is this is the basis for all marketing, by the way. Right. <laughs> this car, this perfume, this house, this job, whatever, this video game. It's all trying to tell you that if you had this, then you'd have what you want. But you don't even know what you want. But what you want is eternal life. And when you are persuaded that you have eternal life, uh, it doesn't mean that you won't want what you wanted. It just won't, it means you won't want it for the same reason. Like you could say, uh, I was telling Kelly, I want to go to New Zealand. And I may think at one point in time, well, if I go, or some people, I want to go to India and find myself. Okay, so they think if they go to India, not at someone I know do this. If I go to India, then I'll find myself, and they even have, you know, movies about this kind of thing, but they don't find themselves because what they're looking for is eternal life, okay? But if you have eternal life, you can still want to go to India, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to go to India. You just don't want to go there for the same reasons. Yeah. And so having had uh, some pretty severe back pain recently, some things that I've wanted to do uh, I have uh, realized that I don't have the ability to do. But at the same time, I've also uh, come to understand that uh, I'm okay with that because the thing that I wanted to do doesn't have the ability to give me anything that I don't already have right now. So whether I do it or don't do it, I'm okay with that. Now, if my back gets better, I'm gonna do it? Yeah, goodbye, because I wanna do it. Sure. <laughs> I want to build this fence, for example, whatever. And building the fence isn't going to give me anything other than the satisfaction of building the fence, but it's not going to give me, I don't wrap up my thought about life in the fence. And uh, I was talking to my son, Nick, about this, uh, generally about this, and, and he had the great, greatest off-the-cuff comment. He said, yeah, I've been experiencing contentment now for as long as I can remember, and I don't even question it. It's like a little kid who has food on his plate and he, he doesn't question where it comes from or try to analyze it. He just knows that his parents who love him put it there. Mm. Mm -hmm. What a great picture. Okay. A little kid who doesn't even analyze. You know, we can get so caught up in analyzing this and that and the other thing. How about this? 
How about a little kid who doesn't analyze squat and just right. enjoying what his parents provide for him because he knows they love him? Yeah. yeah. That's a good place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the gospel is actually designed to put you there. The gospel is supposed to be the repetitive declaration. And you could say it a million different ways, but the repetitive declaration that God has prepared a table for you. Right? Yeah. A table that's full of life. Right? And, and that's what it's designed to do to where you're living like a little kid. And, and you just described the, the Apostle Paul's contentment, where he said, whether I'm abounding or whether I'm abased, I've learned to be content in all things. And what he was saying there is exactly what you just said. He realized the satisfaction, the, the desire that he had for life wasn't wrapped up in the things of this world. So he was content whether he was abounding or whether he was abased, because that which had the power to satisfy him was the Lord. And he found that satisfaction for everything he wanted in the Lord. Mm-hmm. So he could rejoice if he had a lot, and he could rejoice if he had nothing, right? Because he realized, well, having this can't satisfy me. In the same way, not having this can't take away my satisfaction, right? Because I have been satisfied. My cup runneth over by God. I have this cup. I wanted this cup to be filled. I was all the time looking around thinking, this can fill my cup. That can fill my cup. These things will fill my cup. He said, and then I see how God come and filled my cup and how it's running over and how Jesus said, I'll become a river of living waters that will flow from the inside of you, right? And so he no longer looked without to find contentment or peace within, mm. right? And that, that changed how he, he walked in the world. But just for the people listening, the, the podcast is called The Pen of a Ready Writer. Is that right? The Pen of a Ready Writer. And that's the best Christian podcast that exists. It, was it, ju- it just is. It was so good. It just is. And man, Matt, yesterday was like a beautiful orchestra. I just saw God conducting... <laughs> It was this beautiful really orchestra out of him. It was fantastic. I posted on the Bible study page. You should go and listen to that podcast specifically. But also these guys' other podcasts. It's these two young guys. And man, those guys see. They're funny too. No, that's what I'm saying. They and they the way they vibe off of each other is like hip and funny. And it's like it's got the whole it's got the whole kit and caboodle, but it's filled with the spirit of faith. I told Callie. I thought it, it kind of reminded me of an SNL skit. Because if, if, if you didn't understand the humor, you wouldn't, like if you didn't understand the truth, you wouldn't get the humor. Right. But if you understand the truth, you get the humor. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I, I encourage everybody. Um, the only, I don't want to say this is as a negative, because you have to have time. But with the podcast, you like for it to be consistent. And those guys are so spread thin that they're, they don't have like a schedule. Where they're like every every two days or every week we upload a podcast. When they have time, they come together and do it. But man, it's awesome. They're I know they're trying to get down here, uh, Brock and and Tim and and his Brock's wife Kylie, um, and they want to you know they're musicians. They want to play some music, and I don't know what they what they want to do if if they even want to do it. But I'm going to suggest to them that maybe they do the, the podcast live for our church service because it's a great powerful thing, man. And I was so happy watching the, and I get so happy watching these young young guys because for so long, you go all the way back to 2012, I've been trying to preach the spirit of faith since 2012. Mm-hmm. I could tell you a bunch of things about life that would all be born from the spirit of faith. And so I could discern things for you and tell you this and tell you that. But if you could see the spirit of faith that I see, then you'll know everything. 
And you'll understand all things, even if you hadn't encountered them yet. Because when you encounter it, the spirit of faith just discerns it. And so I told people all the time, I, I don't really care if you think it's pleasant what I say. I don't really care if you think it's poetic, or if it sounds rhythmic, or if you feel good when you hear it. I'm after the spirit of faith being planted and built in your heart. Well, when I listen to those two guys talk, they've seen the spirit of faith. And the spirit of faith is in them. And they're talking their thoughts, their sight have all been animated from the spirit of faith. And so it's just exciting listening to them go back and forth. What did you mean when you said Matt was orchestrating? No, God was, it was like an orchestra, man. God was conducting inside of Matt. Matt and I got a very similar background where we grew up in this system of the word, the word, the word, the word. You got to understand, you got to hear the word. You got to keep hearing the word. You got to keep hearing the word. And so, man, this guy spent decades just studying the word be doers of the word you know all this kind of thing but it was in the wrong system yes right Right. and so what i saw in matt in that podcast was all those years of being in the word it was like now jesus is inside of him like a conductor and was grabbing oh i didn't realize that matt was in the podcast yeah matt was in the podcast that's what i missed yeah and, and so he was just it's, it's just beautiful watching this thing in Matt come out of him because it's like an orchestra. And I know the Lord was the conductor. And it, it's, it, it resonates with me because I had a very similar experience. The word, the word, the word, the word, the word. All the while, I never saw, I mean, I read it a million times, but I never saw that Jesus is the word. Right? And so to see all everything be connected inside of Matt in that podcast by the Lord. It was a beautiful thing. It was, I, you know, when I say SNL skit, what I mean by that is, aside from the humor element, there's a skit where they have people who are kind of uh, uh, completing each other's sentences, like you would say, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, playing off of each other, like for over an hour. Wow, it's, it was really good. It 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 really is uh, amazing. Um, and man, Brock, they they do so many things. They pro- they produced a bunch of music together and videos and all kinds of stuff, and it's good. But you have to like hip hop, right? And I'm one of these people that I like every genre, um, probably country the least. Um, but I mean, I listen to Beethoven. I was listening to Beethoven on the way to church today, the Ninth Symphony. I mean, I love it. Um, well, with them, it's not just the hip hop. I mean, the, the guy that some of us has been around for a long time, the guy that Brock tunes into the most is Phil Keaton. Yeah, so they want to come play some music and nice. I Hopefully didn't think it... I would like it, and I listened to one of his songs that he put on, and I really liked it. I know, yeah. and I want to give it to your grandkids because they'll love it. Because mm-hmm. those beats, man, I, I listen. I listened to that one song, that rap song he, he sent me, <laughs> um, where at the end he, he's got these crazy beats, and then at the end. He talks about, I was blind and now I see, and all I see is immortality. And it's just like, what? Dude, all the, the, how fast he's spitting all these words and how it's all, it's like the gospel, man, like the real gospel. And it's just beautiful putting these beats to it. Um, because music is a powerful thing. Music, music strikes an emotional chord in people. And what happens when the heart, exper- we'll give you some heart dynamics. What happens when the heart experiences elevated emotion? is it opens, right? Whether it be pain, whether it be joy, whether it be love, right? When the heart experiences an elevated emotion, it opens and it becomes easier for things to be written on it, right? Why do you think the devil comes to tempt us when we're in the midst of what? Pain, right? Because he realizes it's an opportune time 
to come and try and plant something in your heart. And so music connects with, with the heart. It can connect with an emotion in the heart. And the heart can become opened up, man. And it grabs a hold of the words that are being spoken. And so that's, man, I, I, I get happy um, anytime I hear praise and worship that's really hitting on the truth because it's striking an emotional chord in people and then their, their heart is opening up and grabbing on to the truth. Yes. But has anybody ever wondered why we want what we want? And outside of just that we want peace. Like, I don't want to get real deep, but I will. Have you ever wondered why you even want peace? When, when have you ever stayed shallow? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I sit around and think about these things with God, like I'm the guy, the thinking guy with God. I mean, well, to me, to me, it's it's the way God designed us, right? It's He designed us with that desire for eternal life and the fruit of that life. Yeah, that's our heart's desire. Our heart was created and put together, whether we know it or not, exactly that way. So for me, it's the way we're designed. It's the way we're designed, absolutely. What is it, though, that why do we feel bad if we don't have peace? I mean, how do we know that it's not right to not have peace? Like, why aren't we indifferent if we don't have peace? Why is it this thing that gets lifted up in our sight where we think something's wrong? Yeah. Why is it even that way? Why aren't we just like Because well, God has planted eternity in our hearts. And we desire eternity. <coughs> you know, but we don't see eternity. We see the temporal. And we think we can get satisfied by the temporal. And what is eternity that God's put in our hearts? Right? And that's exactly right. But the what does it mean that he put eternity in our hearts? And it, it, between the two of you, it, it connects to it. A desire for life. Mm -hmm. yeah, and so the scriptures call it the justification of life. So we want what we want because if we have life, we feel justified. Yeah. If we don't perceive that we have life, we don't feel justified. And by justified in this context, you mean we are the way we ought to be? Yes, we are as we ought to be. Gotcha. We are shown to be good. We are shown to be proper, whatever you want to call it. And that's why it's called the justification of life. In having life, we feel justified. In not having life, we do not feel justified. Right? And so if we don't feel peace, we don't feel like we're justified. We immediately think we're not as we ought to be. Right? And we don't like the feeling that we're not as we ought to be. And so then we're going to start laboring to try to be as we ought to be, which is to be in a state of peace. Right? And that's why our hearts will grab on to so many different things. Because we want the justification that comes from possessing life. Possessing life is the only thing that will justify you. And the world will come and say to you, look at this. This will justify you with life. This will give you the kind of life that will justify you, right? Where you'll be able to believe or be persuaded that you are as you ought to be. And back to what Thomas said, the problem is the only thing that can actually persuade you that you are as you ought to be is to possess an incorruptible life. Yes. That's actually the only thing that can persuade you that you are as you ought to be. So all these corruptible things that are in the world, man, God gave us everything to be enjoyed. And so, there, like Thomas said, I mean, I, I just like to do it, and I want to do it, right? Well, there's lots of things in the world that are there for you to enjoy, but none of those things can justify you because none of those things are incorruptible, right? And so the only thing that can actually justify you or convince you that you are as you ought to be is to believe or be persuaded that you possess an incorruptible life. 
That's the only thing. And conversely, not having what you have strived for cannot invalidate you. Exactly. It, it, it keeps the heart. Jesus said, the, now is the hour the prince of this world is coming to me. But he doesn't have anything in me. Listen, I don't want to mess people up, but I do. I love to mess people up. So you can go off and think about this. Listen, man, when God sent Jesus, he wasn't like, we don't really know if Jesus will accomplish the purpose. Let's see what happens. It's an experiment. Yeah. Right? And I know this messes up people's theology, right? And I don't really care. But Jesus couldn't have sinned. He couldn't have sinned. That's right. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yes. I mean, in order for him to have sinned, Satan would have had to have something in him. Yeah. Well, he didn't have anything in me. Right? And in fact, God's the only one who could resist sin. Jesus is the only one that could resist sin. That's why he had to come. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, he could have just ministered to another human being. Right? right? Yes, right. Right, but what was Jesus talking about? He won't have anything in me. He'll never be able to convince me I'm not as I ought to be because the life I have in this mortal body is the incorruptible life that has created all things and holds all things together, right? So he'll never be able to get me to enlist my own strength to try to justify myself with life because I already have the life with the Father. I've shared in this life with the Father from the beginning. That life is my justification, right? And that's why Jesus said, I know what is in man. That's, why he, that's exactly why he said, I know what is in man. A desire for life, but then not possessing the life they desire. Right? right? And a, a compelling desire to want to be justified. Why do you think you see people all the time trying to prove that what's seen in their flesh is good? Why do you think we have all these social movements right now where you see all these people trying to prove what's seen in their flesh is good? No, no, this is how I am, and it's right. They're trying to be justified by the strength of what is seen in their flesh, mm -hmm. right? The problem is that will never justify them with life. Right. And it could never defend their heart <laughs> in the day that the world comes to uncover their nakedness. And so that, that's why, that's really what we're after. We want to believe that we are as we ought to be. Every human wants to believe that. Every human wants to believe they are as they ought to be. The problem is human beings don't have the ability to convince themselves. And they don't have the ability to attain to the life that will put them in a state that they ought to be in. Only God has that. Right? And so you got, you got human beings in the world all the time trying to justify themselves with life. And they're trying to justify themselves with life through the strength of the flesh. Either by something they're doing or something they see in their flesh. Right? No, no, no. This is good. This is the right way, right? I feel that I'm this, and because I feel that I'm this, I'm going to now set about to prove that that's the right way. Why do you think they're doing that? They're trying to justify themselves with life, yeah. right? Yeah. And so that's, that's really what we want. Mm -hmm. We want life because life declares a word that we are as we ought to be. Yes. If we don't think we have life, that declares a word that we're not as we ought to be. So every time you feel anxious, do you know what that's trying to tell you? You're not as you ought to be. What are you gonna do? Right? Mm -hmm. It's not right to be anxious. And our hearts on a subconscious level are like, yes, it's not right. Because we know life is right. Yeah. Eternity is in the heart. So we have this deep-seated knowing that life is right. And not having life is not right. The knowledge of good and evil. Yes. Right? right. And so that, that 
for me, it helped me to understand what was going on inside of me, right? Because I used to not feel peace. I never understood what's going on or what was at work or why that bothered me so badly. And I would all the time be taken captive, trying to get out of not having peace, right? Trying to attain to peace. But then when I realized what was going on, I stopped trying to get peace, right? Because I realized, no, 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 I just want to be justified with life. And then I start connecting with the life that God justified me with. And I start talking with the Father about the life we share. And all of a sudden, that life that I share with the Father, do you know what it persuades me of? Even in the midst of not having peace, you know what it persuades me of? You are as you ought to be. And then you know what happens real shortly thereafter? Peace is manifested. Because peace is the fruit of an incorruptible life. Yes. You were created to have an incorruptible life. And the moment you become persuaded that you have an incorruptible life, guess what's coming? Peace. The moment you can be convinced that you don't have what is needed for life or an incorruptible life, guess what's gone? Peace. Because you, And that's why the life in the world is garbage. Because it promises you peace. Right. And listen, it looks good for food. Yep. It does. If I could just lay my hand on that, there it is. It looks, that, that kind of thinking looks wise. It looks like that's the way unto life, yeah. right? But I promise you, the reason why you know it can never satisfy your desire to be justified with life is because only an incorruptible life can justify you. And so the world can't offer you an incorruptible life. Right. Listen, man, I love my wife. I love Becky. Becky's going to live forever because she has eternal life. But Becky and I are not going to be married in this world forever. It's a, it's a thing there that can be corrupted. Imagine now, I think the justification of life is found in Becky. Yeah. Where do you think I'm at? Should something go wrong with Becky? Mm-hmm. Where do you, what type of a wreck do you think I'm getting? Forget about the sorrow. If something just happened to Becky, yeah, I'll be sorrowful because death ain't right. But where will I be? That's why you hear people say things like, they'll never be the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, well, they're busy with the corruptible life. That's why they say things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. right? And so that's, when you start understanding these things, you're like, no, no, no. See, then it, it, it boils it down to the brass tacks. Where like Thomas said, no, 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 really what I want is an incorruptible life. Yes. That's really what I want right? That's really what I'm after, because I know that it's right to have peace and love and joy and all those kinds of things, right? Well, the only thing that can actually give me that is an incorruptible life. And what happens is, is your heart will stop gravitating towards corruptible things as if those corruptible things can justify you. And then they just become things that you would like to enjoy, Yes. right? And then you're able to, in liberty actually sort that out I, I promise you sometimes the thing that's in the way of you enjoying the thing you want or even like partaking of it is the fact that you think justification is found in that because that causes all type of anxiety and heaviness with the thing and if there's all type of added anxiety and heaviness that's not helping you enjoy the thing neither is it helping the thing to grow and to flourish because liberty man is what causes the thing to grow and to flourish And so it's like, man, the moment you can have your heart set free from thinking justification is found in attaining to this, and your heart starts realizing, no, 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 justification is found in possessing an incorruptible life. 
and you start being fed with the desire you have and you find that desire satisfied and you find yourself justified and you find yourself believing you are as you ought to be just with you and God, listen, then that sets you free to actually be able to enjoy the things that are going on and it can even aid you, uh, to use this language, you attaining to the thing you think you can enjoy. Sure. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes. Because if you're trying to attain to the thing you think you can enjoy by the sweat of your brow, listen, man, you're sweating all over that thing, and it's getting stinky. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if Matt would agree with this, although I think he will. Uh, it seemed like uh, something we had in common was I used, to, I used to lead with my intellect in trying to understand God. Study. Look up the Greek, the Hebrew. You know, diagram the sentence, you know, this passage, that passage, cross-reference, almost making an academic, um, an exercise. Ac an thank you, an academic exercise of the relationship. <laughs> it's like uh, the Cali here. If I just, if I studied Cali's, uh, you know, you know uh, resume, you know, uh, or photograph, it, it wouldn't be the same as sitting here with my arm around her. That's right. You know. Uh, and uh, having kind of crashed and burned in, in ministry, quote ministry in quotations, uh, I, uh, I came to realize I didn't understand what I thought I understood, and I, in fact, believed things that were wrong, and that made me very reluctant to, to even speak again <laughs> about things of God, because it's like, well, what do I know? And then uh, I became very much at peace with the idea that uh, what I know will come out of me in terms of an overflow, and I don't have to, what was the terminology used on the way over here? It, without any forethought. Without any forethought. How many times you've had a conversation with a complete stranger where something came out of you without any forethought? Yeah. And it was like, hit the nail on the head, and you could have never thought of that in advance. <laughs> That's, a, that's a, a comfortable place to be. Right. Jesus told his disciples, take no thought what you'll say in that day. It'll be given to you. There you go. Right. Right. That, that post that you shared that I wrote, totally no forethought oh, in that post. That thing rocked. <laughs> Did you see how many likes you got on that thing? <laughs> totally no forethought in that, though. Why do we even care if people accept us? Why didn't Jesus care if people accepted him? And by I mean care, I don't mean he didn't want them to accept him because he knew he was the resurrection I and the life. I used to care when I thought I had the burden of persuasion. And what did because you think when, you could gain if they were persuaded? Justification. Justification. Okay, well that's something I have to wonder. And so that's, no, no, yeah. that's, that's why I cared. But no, now, that's what I'm saying. Now, it's, uh, now I'm persuaded that the truth does its own work and I don't have to do any. There, you don't that's have, a result of you being a, an attorney though. Well, it's consistent. <laughs> it's consistent with it's it. It's consistent yeah. with it. But, but, but my friend Jesus is an advocate also. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I like to put it in terms of lack. If, if people don't like me, then I feel lack, right? That I'm, I'm not as I ought to be. Not as I ought to be. People so. accepting me is a, a, a symptom of having life. If they don't accept me, then I must not have life. Jesus didn't look at the dynamic that way. Right. He didn't think if people accept me, that will justify me with life. 
He saw that the justification of life came from his relationship with the Father, his union with the Father, and the glory they shared from the beginning. And so if people didn't accept him, it had nothing in him. It had no, it had no voice to be able to tell him that he didn't have life. So he was not able to believe, I'm not as I ought to be. Right? Because in possessing the life of the Father, he is as he ought to be. And when you get like a horse with blinder on their eyes, and you start realizing that's the justification you're after. It can only come from possessing an incorruptible life. Man, you start, you start fellowshipping with God around that truth, and you, that's where your heart will go to in the day you feel anxiety, or in the day you feel stress about things going on around you that don't look right. Listen, you will see things going on around you that don't look right. You will. Right? Mm-hmm. Where are you going to be when that happens? You're either going to be in the place where you're going to set about to make that right <laughs> so you can be at peace again, or in that place, you're going to connect with God. Well, that goes to the heart of the idea of rejoicing in your weakness. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because even though you experience weakness, you know that there's no strength there anyway in your carnal ability, in your, your flesh, and you can rejoice over the reminder that your strength is in God. That's right. You don't see your feeling of weakness as a sign that strength is absent. Right, so you can rejoice in it. The strength to be justified isn't found in you being strong. Right. So you don't get so stressed out when you feel weak. You connect with the one who is strong. Right, Because you're no longer under this misapprehension that your strength can justify you or the strength of what you can attain to or the strength of what you can produce or the strength of what you can have can justify you. You're no longer under that misapprehension. Right. To put it in common, I know I'm talking a lot, but I, I, I think that the podcast really excited me this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, to put it in comical terms, uh, you know, people think in terms of, man, if I just won the lottery, yeah. Man, it's up to $500 million. God, my, tell all the kids, everybody, get a, get a lottery ticket. <laughs> well, the, the, the world's promise is like this. Lisa and I actually got in a heated argument about what we would do with the winnings of a lottery, <laughs> and we hadn't even purchased a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's almost that what the world has, when you cut through it by the Spirit, cutting through it for you and showing you what the world actually is offering, yeah. it's like, how stupid is that? That's just death. <laughs> that's death. That's not life. That's the opposite. That's death. Death. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, and you know, it's, it's interesting how uh, the Lord said, that, or the Scriptures say, that He knew man and he knew what was in a man because the same thing you see in the world people you know thinking going to India or having a Maserati is going to give them life and in the sadly in the Christian realm people believe that acquiring knowledge or performing certain things or um, you know living by principles all these things that are presented to you spiritually saying, listen, you do these principles and life is going to be good for you. They're actually believing spiritually in relation to the Lord that that is going to provide them life. And they are working toward that life when they don't even realize that they have it. 
if they have it. They don't realize what makes a person rich. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It, it, it's like, it, in the place where you feel anxiety or you feel weakness, and you don't judge that weakness to mean the strength for you to be justified is absent. What will happen is, is you'll connect with God and you'll connect with the strength in His hand to justify you and you'll find yourself being clothed upon. You'll find your heart being clothed upon with the word of an incorruptible life. And you see that same dynamic in Adam when he was very stressed out about being naked. Right? Because to be justified in Adam's mind was to be clothed upon with the life of God. Well, now he finds himself naked, not being clothed upon with life. So his heart is screaming out, you are not as you ought to be. This is not as it ought to be. You do not have life. You're not justified. And so he goes about to try to clothe himself, and he can't do it, can he? But then what does God come and do? Clothe upon him. Justified him with life. The justification of life. Right? And Jesus talks about that in Revelation 3, verse 18, where he says, buy of me gold. Right? And he talks about that you might, the shame of your nakedness might not be seen, but that you be clothed upon in white raiment, Mm -hmm. and that your eye salve would be healed so that you could see. And that's what he's talking about. The gold there that he's talking about is the spirit of faith. It's talking about the word of life. It's talking about eternal life. Right? My faith has been tried. It's precious and pure. This faith that was revealed in me on the cross, this faith can produce eternal life. How do you know? Look what it did in me. I came out of the grave. Right? So come and have this gold. Right? The world is all the time offering you gold, which Revelation calls Babylon. That's why it talks about being a merchant of Babylon. The merchants are all the time trading gold and silver, gold and silver. Do you know what gold and silver are? The riches of the world. Are all the good things the world could offer you or tell you that you could gain. Right? And the merchants of Babylon are all the time exchanging the strength in their hand and the strength in their flesh, trying to gather unto themselves the good in the world or to prove that the thing in their flesh is good so that they can exalt themselves unto life. Well, Jesus says, listen, man, don't be a merchant in Babylon. Don't be busy with the system where you're enlisting the strength of your own hand, trying to buy for yourself a life that can't be overcome. But rather, listen, man, buy of me gold. And it goes on to say elsewhere that, oh, by the way, that gold is free. Right? And he's talking about his faith. Right? Mm-hmm. That will justify you with life. Yeah. That's the only thing that will put you to rest. Mm-hmm. And so it's like when you see that, listen, I remember in my word of faith days, we all the time going to get a healing. Right? Like that's what we focused on. And inadvertently, what happened was if we didn't get a healing, you know what we felt like? We weren't justified. And so everything became about getting a healing. And every time we got a sickness or any injury or anything wrong with us, it screamed in our faces that we weren't as we ought to be. We don't have life, otherwise this wouldn't be happening. Listen, I promise you the angst I felt in those situations because I thought this meant I didn't have life was worse than the injury. And what I see that's happened now, I get into these bad habits where I work so much on my phone that I sometimes read and am writing like eight or nine hours on that little phone. Well, after like a year goes by and I'm doing that at night, late, in the dark and everything, I start getting this twitch in my eye. (laughs) The vein behind my eye gets inflamed and I get these massive migraines where like I can't even function. And I'm even dizzy and stuff. And I was laughing at myself because it just happened this past week where I could barely like prepare for the message because I couldn't look at the screen. (laughs) 
And I was laughing at myself because I didn't care that there was this pain. And I didn't care that I had this thing going on. I didn't like send out a prayer chain, you know, so I can get everybody together because we got to get this thing to go. Right? What I found myself doing was talking to God about the life we share and the substance of that life. And I found myself put to rest in my heart. Right? And the, the injury or the calamity or whatever you want to call it didn't have a voice to me. It couldn't scream in my face. It no longer could tell me I was separated from life. Because when I think about whether I have life or not, I think about do I possess the incorruptible life of Jesus? Yeah. Not is, there, is everything in this mortal body perfect? Or is everything in the life in this world perfect? I don't even look that way anymore. I immediately, my heart goes back to, but I have eternal life, right? And what happens is, is within that eternal life is the peace and the love and the joy that we all know is right. That's where it's at. And so then what happens is I was flooded with peace, even though I've got this wet washcloth on my eye, cold washcloth, trying to calm the inflammation and I can't, you know, I can't do anything and I'm just laying there. I still found myself happy and like humming that song because I'm stuck on this song. You guys will get an earful of it today. Um, I can't even remember the chorus now. Faith, the faithfulness song. Oh, goodness of God. Yeah, Greatest faithfulness? The, the goodness of God. Mm -hmm. yeah. All my life you have been faithful. I just found myself humming that in the midst of this extreme pain. And it's like the pain became shrunk in my sight. Sure. Yeah. And immediately the anxiety from the was shrunk in my sight and it didn't exist anymore. And it was like, Glory to God, right? And I'm telling you, that's the answer for the things that we think we see in our life. It's just an example. And Thomas, that great example with his back, right? I'm sure he walked through a system in his life where that back pain would have had a voice, right? Now it didn't have a voice telling him he wasn't as he ought to be or he was separated from life. Now it's just like, no, I got this mortal body, man. And sometimes it breaks down in a way that I don't like, right? But I, the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. And see, I promise you, when your heart gravity, when you see something that you think isn't as it ought to be in this world, or that it isn't consistent with eternal life, that it isn't the fruit of eternal life, if your heart jumps to, but the Father's in me and I'm in the Father, and your heart starts gravitating to the incorruptible life you share with the Father, and your heart starts thinking of what that life does even inside of a mortal body, yes. listen, man, you'll be filled with peace and love and joy. Yes. And what happens is, is that's the, that's the manifestation of Isaiah 54, where, 17, where it says, Thou shalt condemn every voice or every tongue that rises up against you. It's not talking about people, although it could be a person. It's talking about when you encounter something in this world that is not consistent with eternal life or that isn't consistent with your view of what is needed to have peace. Listen, man, that speaks a voice to you. And it's trying to condemn you. It's trying to uncover your nakedness. And it's trying to tell you you're not as you ought to be. Right? right? That's why the beginning of Isaiah says, Sing ye that were barren. What does barrenness mean? It means to be dead. It means to be full of death. It means not to have life, not to have the fruit of life. And then he comes and says, Sing for your maker is your husband. Right. And so now you're seeing yourself as intertwined and braided together with the God of all glory and the incorruptible life that he has in himself. 
And what happens is, is when you see the fathers in you and you're in the father, that will condemn all the voices in the world or the voice that's contained in everything you see in your life that you think isn't right. Eternal life will rise up in you and condemn the voice. You're not out there trying to do your much confession. I'm going to condemn the voice. I'm going to condemn the voice. I'm going to condemn the voice. No, you'll find eternal life condemning it on your behalf. Sing ye that we're barren. Your maker is your husband. Right? All of a sudden, you're like, no, no, no. I am as I ought to be. That condemns the voice telling you you're not as you ought to be. Right. Eternal life and you being persuaded of what it means that you possess an incorruptible life is the only thing that can condemn the voice that's telling you you're not as you ought to be. It's the only thing that actually possesses the power to shut the mouth of the accuser. Of the accuser. Why do you think the mouth of the... Isaiah 54, 17. Imagine that in Jesus on the cross. What do you think condemn... I mean, all the voices there, what were they saying to Jesus? You're not as you ought to be. Right. What evidence do they have? His body of death. Everybody rejected him. He stripped naked, thorns on his head, beaten to death, then still crucified on a cross. There's the voice of the serpent. If you are, why do you, what's this death about, bro? Because the serpent knows that justification is found in possessing life. And so he got death into the world. Now he can use that death to come against all human beings, to try to convince them they don't have life. Take up your own life. Right? God says the way we're going to shut the mouth of the accuser, the way we're going to condemn that voice in their heart is we're going to come and we're going to give them an incorruptible life as a gift. And we're going to justify them. Right? And that's going to dwell in their heart, that life that is incorruptible. And it will condemn the voice of the accuser. Right? Amen. Yeah. That's how the whole dynamic works. And no, you don't want to have a migraine. But I promise you, if, if you're all stressed out about the migraine, thinking that it's a sign you don't have life, that's going to make it worse. Yeah. Whenever you see... Has everybody in here believed on the Lord Jesus? I think everybody has, but I want to be presumptuous. Listen, whatever it is you think you see in your life that's telling you you're not as you ought to be is a lie. Yes. Because it's one simple thing. The only thing that proves that you are as you ought to be is possessing an incorruptible life. Yeah. Right. That's what righteous means, to be in the state that you were created to be in. You were created to be in a state where you possess a life that ain't going to die. Because <laughs> you're the God kind. You're the image of God. Well, God ain't going to die. And so he wants you to be in his likeness. The likeness of one who has a life that ain't going to die. And so the only thing, when you think about am I as I ought to be, you're, it should, you should get tunnel vision. There should be one question. Not do I have this. Not do I have that. Not is this going on. It's do I possess eternal life. Amen. Is the Father in me and am I in the Father? Right. That's the end of this discussion. When the serpent comes to me and he wants to point at something in my life and tell me that I'm not as I ought to be, immediately I ask him, well, is the Father in me? Am I in the Father? I am as I ought to be. Right? Your heart rises up and condemns the voice of the accuser. Yes. Right. That's the justification of life. That's what Paul's talking about. That's why Paul, it matters not if you judge me, I judge not my own self. (laughs) And then you find that healing working out in your body. That's right. So he said, my son, attend to my word. Incline thine ear to my saying. Let it not depart from your eyes. Keep it in the midst of your heart. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And like John would come and say, beloved, I pray that your health prosper even as your soul prospers. Most of the sickness and and, and calamity in this world that can come upon our physical bodies, it comes from stress. Mm -hmm. 
It's a proven fact. Even like unbelievers do studies that prove that. Yeah. Well, guess what happens if you lift that stuff off of a person? Your body was never created to carry the burden of producing life. What do you think it does to a human body if it's all the time living as if it has to produce life? What do you think happens to it? It wears out. It wears out. It becomes broken down. It starts having all these things. It's like when, when, you're, when I was training all the time and running. There's times where part of my body would break down, right? But I wouldn't stop running. Well, then subconsciously, another part of my body starts overcompensating for the weakness of this part. Well, eventually what would happen then, then I would get a very bad injury because part of my body was trying to do something it shouldn't have been doing to overcompensate. And so the human body was never created to, be, to even care, to even think it had to carry the burden of producing life, much less actually working to try to produce life. And if that body is in that type of an environment, what's going to come out of that is sickness, illness, yeah. disease. Right. But if that can be lifted off of you, what happens is, is the body, it's like a relaxing in the body. The body loosens up. The veins even loosen up. The veins can become stressed out and inflamed with the burden of producing life. The veins will relax. Blood starts flowing. Starts going to the head. Starts going everywhere. Hallelujah. <laughs> the justification of life. Amen. I'm telling you, that's what Amen. you want. Yes. You want to be justified. The only thing that can justify you is life. Not any kind of life, an incorruptible life. So the thing that you think is the thing you need to be at peace, ask yourself, does that possess an incorruptible life? Can that raise me up out of the grave? Okay, then I've confused that with what I really want. And that is just something that I'll, I think I'll enjoy. Let me stop looking to it as if it can justify me. Let me start looking to what can justify me. And then I'll find myself walking in liberty as I try to enjoy the things that I think I'll enjoy. Amen. Right? And yes. that will remove a bunch of the heaviness from what you're doing when you're trying to enjoy things. Right? Right? Yeah. I promise you, if you're trying to engage in something you think you can enjoy as if that will justify you, you bring in a whole lot of heaviness to that dynamic, a whole lot of pressure, a whole lot of stress, and you ain't just being your, you ain't just free, right? Like your mind is all the time filled with analyzing. I want to, I want to go. What's going on? Whatever, whatever, you know. And I tell you what, that will choke the thing out. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder, you know, how you were saying that possessing the truth, but possessing the life of God understanding that can actually have effect on your physical body your, yeah. your, you know your, your de both your demeanor and your the functioning of your body it can have effect on that but we live in a corruptible body that's going to go to the grave one day barring the Lord's return first and uh, but it makes you wonder a little bit like in that day when we have the, our resurrected body it's going to be that same glory that same life that we're experiencing in the first fruits of the spirit right mm -hmm. now, that's going to infuse that body with life. Mm -hmm. Our bodies, I don't think, are going to be very much different than they are today, except they're going to be infused with that life that is going to cause those bodies to live forever. Yeah, it'll, it's a body that'll be made. It's going to. The design will be uh, very similar. Yeah. It's just that it was a body made by the hand of God in His eternal life, instead of a body made by the strength of a man's hand. Yeah. Right? Adam built us this body. Right. 
This is the body of sin. Right. This is the body of death. The reason it's here is because Adam put his hand to work, right. right, to try to bring forth life. And so he built this body we're dwelling in now, this earthly tabernacle, right? But just like Paul come and said in Romans that uh, this body of death, this body of sin, listen, man, we're set free from its effects by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And so as we start looking to the life that we have in Christ Jesus and we our affection is set on the life that's above or the things that are above, what happens is, is that our mortal bodies are quickened by the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And we can even see the fruit of the Spirit manifested in these bo- mortal bodies, right? Yeah. That, are, that are perishing. Giving, giving life to our mortal, mortal bodies. Giving life to our mortal bodies, yeah. right? Justification. God, you, you got something? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I was going to say, Thomas hit on something when he when he let off the conversation that we don't even know what we want right that people don't know what they want and to me i have to because i want people to know and have eternal life it's one of those things where you've got to tell myself often look this is god's responsibility through the holy spirit to tell those people what they need to know or bring them to the point that they need to know you know christ as savior and it, it's, it breaks my heart that the fact that churches around the world don't have a clue that that's what we're actually seeking for. And they build program after program after program to go get something, and they miss the point completely. They don't know what they want. And it was, it's a profound statement. And we're very fortunate that we all sit here, and we know what we want, and we know how to get it. Well, and, it, and, the, and that we have it. No, we have it. Right, right, we have it. Right? It's just yeah. that's why we cannot sin. <laughs> yeah. It's a sin not to have eternal life. Well, you have yes. eternal life. That's why John would come and say, You cannot sin. Exactly. <laughs> yes. The whole point is you're supposed to be able to be persuaded. You know you have eternal life. Yeah. That's the whole thing. And, and you're right. And back to the we don't even know what we want. I, I remember my intensity. I didn't know what I was really after. I didn't really know what I wanted. And I thought the power to get what I wanted was if I could convince people the intensity was good. Yeah. You see how I was trying to be justified by the strength of the exactly. flesh? Yeah. I saw something in my flesh, <laughs> and I wanted to be persuaded that I was as I ought to be, and I wanted to use that to do it. Yeah. I didn't know what I wanted, and I didn't know how to get it. And so I was all the time trying to believe the intensity was good. And I was all the time trying to convince other people the intensity was good. <laughs> because I thought that would give me what I wanted. Right? That that would justify me with life. But I didn't really know what I wanted. And I had no clue where what I wanted was found. And I remember God was like, Greg, well, whether you're intense or you're not intense, what does it matter? And I was like, (laughs) what does it matter? He said, whether people like your intensity or don't like your intensity, what does it matter? And I was like, (laughs) and he's asking these questions because clearly it mattered to me. And so he was bringing out what was in me, right? Yeah. And then the moment he did, that's when he started, well, let me show you where you can get what you think you can get from that, yeah. right? And all of a sudden, I was, I was free from that, yeah. right? Yeah. I was trying to be justified by the intensity I saw in my flesh. Sure. And I was trying to prove it was good. And by proving it was good, I thought that would convince me that I was as I ought to be. 
But you're not just satisfied with you being convinced. You think you got to convince everyone else that it's also good. Yes. Because then that will convince you that it's good. Yes. Exactly. Yes. That's what I was trying to say. (laughs) Yes. How can you receive the honor that comes from God when you're seeking the honor of a man? Mm. Jesus said, Jesus was not seeking for men to honor him. He was not thinking uh, justification is found in these people honoring me. No. Right? He received honor from the God of all glory when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's like with Abraham. God called Abraham the father of many nations. Right. So you know what would justify Abraham? For him to be the father of many nations. Yeah, that's like telling someone, oh, this is your spiritual gift. Right. <laughs> you talk about a trap. You bet. And then they, I became convinced of that. And then I thought, well, if I don't see the fruit of my gift, then what's happening here? That's right. And then uh, on the issue of healing, I'm kind of an extremist like you, although you're an extreme extremist. Uh, on the issue, on the, you are. Yeah, no, no. Uh, on the issue of healing, I studied every single healing passage in, 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 in the Bible outlined it and tried to find I even calculated the probability that not the probability the frequency with which Jesus put his hand on someone oh <laughs> All right, so 87% of the time he touched the person well that must not be how you do it. you got to touch the person yeah, yeah, yeah. lay hands on the person yeah. I, all that crap <laughs> wow, I, can man. Laugh, I can laugh about it now but it's a real trap it's almost like the confusing the fruit and root by telling someone here's your gift yes because mm-hmm. you're telling them here's the fruit of God's life in you, and this is what is proof. When the only proof we really have, and the only proof that can really persuade, is Jesus with immortal life in him after the grave. That's right. That's the only proof that is actually has the power to persuade a person. All the other stuff is just kind of intellectual, you know, gymnastics that never really does persuade the heart. Nope. The heart always is still suspicious because it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Mm-hmm. But Jesus stands up to scrutiny because he's standing there, having been, you know, crucified. He's now standing. I was talking to Callie about this on the way over here. Not just standing there. Forget what you think about him rising from the dead. There's somebody who's actually talking to you who doesn't even have blood in his veins, yeah. if you believe that. Yeah. Right. How do we know that? Well, because all the blood ran out. Yeah. So how, how is that? He shed corruption. <laughs> yes, that's what you talked right. about. About when he shed his blood, he shed death and corruption. Yes. He was the shed the body of death. Is in the blood, I believe, means the life of the world. The life the of the blood. flesh. <laughs> Not the life of God. No. The life of the world is in the blood, and a, which a, is actually death. And if you really look at it, the, the bones are what, the bones working is what produces blood yeah. in the body. Yes. Right. That's right? a very fascinating thing. No, it, it absolutely is. But back to what you said about. We're only busy with what's your spiritual gift when we don't know about the justification of life. Yeah. Right? We, we would never even be busy with trying to ascertain what people's spiritual gifts are. Well, or, or spending any time in a system where we've got to figure out what your spiritual gift is, quote unquote. We would know that that's got nothing to do with the justification of life. It's a false teaching to put people to work. It's yeah. a false teaching to put people to work. And it's a false teaching that comes from people trying to work to produce yeah. justification themselves. Yeah. It's not just that they're giving a false teaching to put, they're working themselves. And so, of course, anybody under what they're doing is going to be put to work. But the scripture says the spirit moves as the spirit wills. 
You ain't got to ascertain what people's spiritual gifts are. The Spirit moves as the Spirit wills. And so what do you do? You preach the Spirit, right? right? And if you preach the Spirit, then the Spirit will move as the Spirit wills inside of each individual right. because they'll receive nutrients from the head that is Christ when you preach the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And then each joint that's part of the body will have been supplied from the head that is Christ. And then each joint will be able to edify or bless one another inside of the body, right? right? Yeah. And Paul come and said, he defined walking in the Spirit by the hearing of faith. When he says, this only what I ask of you, uh, received ye the Holy Spirit by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith. Yeah. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, will you now be made perfect by the strength of the flesh to perform the works of the law? And so he equates continuing in the Spirit with the continuing in the hearing of the faith. And so listen, man, if you want people's gifts to manifest in them, you don't try to ascertain what their gift is, and you don't try to send them off on a path of trying to ascertain what their gift is. You preach the faith. And within the faith is the Spirit. Yeah. And the Spirit will move inside of the people as the Spirit wills. Right? Mm -hmm. And then you'll find each joint supplying to one another. Right? right? To the edification of one another. Right. To the exhortation of the love of God. Yeah. Right? Unless I've missed something over the last seven, eight years I've come here. The only thing I've ever heard preached telling people to do something here was talk to God. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing I've ever heard. Have y'all heard anything other than that? To do something? That's the only thing I've heard to do. Go talk to God. Mm -hmm. Talk to God about it. Hear the faith. I tell people to listen. Yeah, I mean, that's the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my terminology, that's the same thing. Don't have a conversation with God. Allow it. You can say, behold Jesus, behold the faith, however you want to put it. That's the only thing I've ever heard to do. And guess what? That's the only exhortation in the apostolic letters. To be a doer of the word. How do you become a doer of the word? By hearing it and continuing to hear it, yeah. to continuing to behold yourself in the perfect law of liberty. Yeah. That's how you do it. That's how you're a doer of the word. You don't just hear the faith and hear what the faith says about what type of human you are or what type of a being you are. The faith tells you you're the type of being that doesn't possess the ability to give themselves life. God's the only one that can give you life, right? And so you continue in that faith by beholding yourself in the face of Jesus and how God is with you to serve you with life. Yeah. Right, And as you continue in that faith, what will happen is, is you'll find your soul flourishing with the fruit of the Spirit. Right, And that's all you need. You don't need the law and the works of the law. Right, We don't need that for people. We're not going to find godliness born from people looking at the works of the law and trying to do them. That's not how you're going to find godliness. What we need for people is for them to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Because guess what? The fruit of the Spirit can do no harm. Right. The fruit of the Spirit can cause no harm. And so if we're actually looking for, for people to be able to walk in the God life, all we're looking for is them to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. How's that going to happen? It ain't going to happen by us trying to tell them to find out what gift they have or where they're going to serve in the church. That doesn't mean you might not do something. I don't even like calling it service because I don't feel like I'm serving. Right. And so in our modern vernacular, serving is the wrong word. And even when Jude or, or Paul or those guys said a servant of the Lord, they didn't mean they were serving God. What they meant was they were sent by God with this message. That's what it meant to be a servant. They weren't doing service like we've been taught in our modern vernacular. When they said a servant of the Lord, that was them declaring, I ain't come of my own accord. God sent me. The words I'm going to speak have come directly from God. Right? That's what it meant to be a servant. <laughs> well, that's what Paul, when he says, I'm a servant sent yeah. you know, by, the Lord. by the Lord, not by man. Yeah. I was just reading this from uh, 1 Thessalonians. It says, but uh, as we were allowed of God 
to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not pleasing men, but pleasing God, who trieth our hearts. And I'm thinking, of, you know, what does it mean he trieth the heart? You know, does he beat it with an anvil and tries our hearts? But when you look up that word, tries the heart, it means to approve, approve something. Mm -hmm. So what he's really saying is that, and so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who approved our hearts. Yeah. Who justifies our hearts. That's right. Like what I was just talking about, where God come and said, Greg, what, what, whether you're intense or not intense, what's it matter? Right. You see how he was justifying my heart? Yes, absolutely. Right. He was bringing out that which was telling me I wasn't as I ought to be. Mm-hmm. And he came and justified my heart, right? Yep. Glory to God. Beautiful. All right, guys. Thank you so much.